Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it says chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. That will be our focus for the message today. But for our reading, we're going to back up into chapter 2, verse 17, and read, um, I think we're just going to read through verse 5, because that, that's a unit of thought. We're going to pull out a specific application for today that I hope will be an encouragement. That's what Paul wanted to be to this church in this incredibly uh, personal passage of Scripture. It, the whole book is incredibly personal, but his, his profound love, and we saw that in, in, in chapter 2, for a group of people that he'd only known, been with for three weeks, is mingled with a, a very deep concern over their spiritual health. So we're going to read about that and uh, dive into the first two verses of chapter 3. So would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? And we'll begin in chapter 2, verse 17. Listen to the language here. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith so that no one would be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand what we were to suffer, that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Father, thank you for these very personal words of the Apostle Paul to the believers at Thessalonica. Thank you that in the midst of his, could I say it, his anxiety over the spiritual health of these people that he loved so much, he was willing, he was willing to sacrifice Elements of his personal comfort, elements of his personal plans for the good of those folks at Thessalonica. So, Lord, I pray that as we look at this and listen to this, that we would come to the conclusion that that is our goal. Our goal is sacrificial living so that we can establish and exhort other believers in their own faith, in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to that end. Help us to listen and to learn, to take in. Help us to be encouraged, to be exhorted where we need to be exhorted. 
We'll give you the glory for all of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I tried to emphasize this as I read through this. I want you to go back into chapter 2, verses 17, because of the, the, the highly personal and really emotionally charged words that are used. He said, when we were torn away from you, that's strong language. That's the same kind of language that a parent would use over the loss of a child who has died. Paul wanted to stay longer. Now, you need to get this. If you've been with us, then you understand this. But if you're with us today for the first time, we've been studying through this. So why did he only stay for three weeks with these new believers? His custom was to stay a lot longer. Well, the fact is he had to because there was a mob that got together and a riot that ensued, and so he was forced out of Thessalonica, but he wanted to stay. And here's what he basically said. They, the, the Jews might have been able to force me out physically, but there was no way, Thessalonians, that he could force you out of my heart. It says that he had a great desire, we read that, to be with them. Now get this, face to face. Why? Let me tell you why, because that's what believers do. That's what believers do. A few minutes ago, when I got up here at the very beginning to, to call us to, to, to worship, I said something about us being together face to face, even though it was at a distance and maybe with a mask. That's what believers do. That's what believers long to do. And in fact, he uses this imagery, we talked about this last week, that, that he was so desirous of being with them face to face, aching to be with them, that only Satan could hinder him from coming and being with them. And, and that's what we're all about. That's why we share these things of our continuing journey to come back together uh, week by week, people, you, aching to be back together in small groups, fellowshipping face to face. And so then that brings us up to chapter 3. It's a, it's a unit of thought, and it begins with a picture of, I mentioned this before, it's how Paul was so desirous to be with these believers and so committed to their spiritual health that he was willing to lay aside his own personal plans and his own comforts for the good of these believers and for the advancement of the gospel. And as much as possible, like I said to you just a, a moment ago, I want us, it always, with every message, it's not just a sermon to be preached, it is the Scripture to wrestle with and to try to personalize as best we can. So you see the three points on your worship guide. Let's walk through these, and then we'll get to an application that I hope is extremely relevant for today. Verse 1, he talks, if you look at this, about the fact that, and, and again, personalize this, that we need to be willing to, to sacrifice our own personal plans for the good of other believers. Did you, did you catch, again, the emotional language when we could bear it no longer? 
What was it that he was bearing? Again, it was the concern for their spiritual well-being. We know that because if you'll jump over to verse 5 again for this reason, when we could, here's the same wording, bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, not the faith, the faith had already been delivered to them, but Paul was wanting to know how that faith had worked its way into their hearts because he was, he was anxious. If I could say that word, I, I know that when we think of the Apostle Paul, we don't normally think of him being anxious, but that is a word that's not uh, far-fetched. He wanted to know how they were doing. He had been faithful. Now, I want you to see this. In three weeks' time, one of the ways that he knew he had been faithful was that he had warned them of conflict and opposition. And now he was wondering, is their new faith, their faith, going to hold? Was this faith that they had expressed, was it real? Or, and, and this throws us back to the parable of the sower, would they be like that second soil hearer who would receive the word with great joy? And then when, if, if you consolidate the three gospels, when temptation, affliction, persecution arose, that was the harsh son of what was going to happen to them. You remember the parable, it, it, it got scorched. It bore no fruit. Luke says of that, they believed for a while. Paul knew the reality of this happening, and he wanted to know, did the word that we shared and the warning that we gave to them, did it help them to bear under the harsh sun of affliction? says he wanted to come. I talked about fellowship a minute ago. Look, we're good Baptists, so we understand what fellowship means, don't we? What does fellowship mean? We have fellowship hall. What happens in fellowship hall? We eat. We slap each other on the back. We tell any good jokes that we know. We encourage a little bit. Maybe, maybe that goes on. Listen, fellowship probably included some of those things for the Apostle Paul, but we see exactly what he was talking about. And we'll get to this more next week, but look at the two words that he says. He wanted to know that they were established, and he wanted to exhort them because he knew in this passage, it's interesting, Satan is mentioned twice. He knew that satanic opposition was coming. Now, time out. If satanic opposition was real for the believers in Thessalonica, is it true for us today? Or have we somehow evolved out of that? We talked last week about satanic opposition. I'll refer you back to that message, how real it is and how subtle it can be. And so Paul was trusting God in the midst of it. But here's what he said. I, I love the way that he phrases it. We were willing to be left behind 
in Athens alone. Now, really what he means is, I was willing to be left behind. He, he had plans for Athens. Listen, Paul had plans, even though the Holy Spirit had directed him to Greece and he'd already established some churches, he had plans, and, and, and part of that was not to be alone in Athens, all right? You ever been alone in a foreign city? And you knew you had a job to do? You could have been intimidated by that as much as anything, but you had companions with you? Listen, I can tell you that being overseas in a place like Istanbul or some of the places in Turkey, and you know you're there for a reason, but you're in, to you're in totally foreign territory and it's good to have companions with you, right? It's good to, to, to know that you've got people who've, who have your back. He was in Athens. This was one of the cultural centers of the world. 30, this is what they estimate, 30,000 different gods. If you go back to Acts, you're going to see when he came to Athens, he was, he, his spirit was agitated because of all the gods on every street corner, these idols that were really no gods, little g. We're going to come to that in a minute. He knew there were no idols, but here he was in a, in a society, in a culture saturated with sexual immorality, idolatry, and he was willing to go it alone. Now, you may never have that decision to make. But I promise you that whether or not you're a Christian, sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to go through that. Look, non-Christians are going through everything that we're going through. The only difference is they have no hope. But I'll guarantee as you live your life, you are going to have plans that are going to be interrupted. And the real question is, will you be willing to allow your plans to be interrupted for the good of others and for the advance of the gospel? Now, that could start right where you are as a mom or a dad or as a husband, or as a wife, or as, as a student with, with friendships, or in the church. You, you see, the, these are, are the relationships of life where all, we, we all have our plans as to how everything is supposed to go with our lives, don't we? And all of a sudden, whoops, our plans get interrupted. Are you willing to give those plans over to the Lord for the sake of others? for the advance of the gospel. And I look out and I see so many of you, even as I said those words about plans, and I know that there are people, probably everyone, I know a lot of the stories in here, and you have had your plans interrupted. And you've said, for the good of others, I'm willing to follow the Lord. See, it's easy for us to get so wrapped up in our world that we miss out on what God is doing in His world. Let me put it the way I, I saw this, and I don't remember who said it. I wish I'd remembered the last week or so when I've studied this, 
But this person put it like this, and I love these little phrases. Are you willing to be strategically inconvenienced? Let me say that again. Are you willing to be strategically inconvenienced for the cause of Christ? And what that means is you may not even realize all of what that means (laughs) right now. Are you willing to lay aside your plans for the good of others? Moms, dads, husbands, wives, grandparents? On down the line. Second thing is, and this this is really closely aligned in verse 2, first part of it. Are you willing to sacrifice your personal comfort for the good of other believers? I know you are. I've seen it. I know you are. And again, let me say this, it starts in the home. It always starts in the home. And there are so many good stories in this room about people who have lived sacrificially for people in their own household. Again, Paul needed Timothy in Athens. If you look at the way Timothy is described, a brother, a co-worker of the gospel, it was not just comforting, it was necessary. And yet, he was willing to forego his personal comfort of having his companion, Timothy, with him. (laughs) Even though, if ever Paul needed reinforcements on the battlefield, it was here, as I said a few minutes ago. All of that for the good of those people that he had known only three weeks and for the advance of the gospel. Now let's come to the last point, and this is where we're going to hunker down and make some applications out of this that I hope hope are helpful. I have really thought through these, prayed through these for weeks, really. And uh, so hopefully, this is not everything. Hopefully... Like in most sermons, I don't plan on answering all of the questions that might arise out of this, but hopefully you'll go home and you'll talk about it with your friends and family and, and see how this applies to you and how you can help other people. You might help all of this in, in, in order, but, but you can certainly help other people with this. Uh, the, the last one you see on your outline is the goal of your sacrificial living. What is it? It's to establish and exhort other believers in their So, let me go back again. Paul had the right. I I know that there's discussion discussion about believers yielding their rights. Listen, Listen, Paul knew that he had the right for his plans to come through to establish the gospel with the help of Timothy, but he was willing to sacrifice for the good of others. He had the right, I'm emphasizing that, to keep Timothy with him as a valued co-worker, but he was willing to send him back to establish and to exhort the other believers. Now, do you remember from last week, those of you who were here, what the, the two primary areas that we need to be established in our faith might be? Two primary areas, then everything kind of flows out of this. And, and last week I shared this passage of Scripture uh, because it kind of encapsulates it. And, and I, I pointed you back to John chapter 17 because Jesus prayed it. And so there are two primary areas that we need to be established and exhorted. 
in our faith, in, in the outworking of our faith. The first one is this, and it's God's will, your sanctification. That means that you more and more every day in, in setbacks and advances and all the rest of that, that you look more like Jesus. Growing in holiness, growing in sanctification. Those two words mean the same thing. And then that, that's, that, that's the vertical. And then the horizontal that we need to grow in our love for one another. And, and Paul says this. to the Thessalonians. This is what Paul lived for. And without giving up the calling to which he had been called, he was willing to give his very life for this. Uh, This, for a long time, has been one of my life verses. I, I, I love what it says here. You have to enunciate very carefully. I remember I was using this in a, in a uh, lesson I was teaching in, in perspectives, a missions course, and I, I slipped up. You know, sometimes you, you get tongue-tied. And Paul says, I do not account my life, and I made the mistake, I do not account my wife of any value. <laughs> and I said, although that's a slip of the tongue as much as my wife need, means to me, she is a part of my life. This is true. My life, including everything, and for those of you who have lost loved ones, they are a part of that. Paul said, I don't, while those things are important, I am not minimizing the importance of those relationships, but Paul said, here's my attitude. I don't account my life as of any value nor precious to myself. Now, don't, don't, don't get Paul wrong. He was not one of these people that put himself down so that others would build him up. Oh, I'm nothing. I, you know, I can't do it. No, no, no. He wasn't that. He had a very accurate view of who he was in Jesus Christ. He had a very healthy self-identity, okay? But here's where it didn't, didn't just stop there because he goes on and says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And, and what this basically means is that Paul and, and we, if we're going to apply this, ought to be able to put aside our personal plans to advance the kingdom. So what are some... Uh, applications that grow out of this. I I want to make one. And I want to make one application for our little slice of history. You know, that's where we're living right here. We are a dot on the, the whole historical timeline, and we've got a little slice of time. And we, listen to me, we are all All of us are being called upon to make sacrifices during this time. If I am faithful to you, as Paul was to the Thessalonians who warned them of affliction and persecution to come, and I'm not trying to grandstand 
But if I am faithful, even though you feel right now at this time that this slice of history in your life is not very comfortable, there is probably the fact that there will be an increase in that for you and for me, Christian. Now, with all that's being said about the church and what's going on in the church, and there's a lot being said, I, I, I want to affirm two things that I believe. I really believe that are happening with all of this. Number one, I, I don't believe this. I know this because Jesus said it, and Jesus never lies. He said, I will build my church. And there are some people running around and talking as if the church is just going to dry up and dissolve. According to Jesus, it is not. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to build his 501c3 organizations or buildings or anything like that because this is, and I believe could very well be, I don't know, but it could be an increasing time of testing for the church, and we've already seen it. I've heard stories about it, that churches, organizations are going out of business. And I, I lament that. I, I really do, and you should too. You should be grieved at that. But could it be, could it be that the Lord is streamlining? Could it be that the church, His church, that He will build is getting stronger? through the very things that are meant by others, by Satan, satanic hindrance, the tempter tempting, that he's seeking to blow us up. Folks, for the church, it's not going to happen. Now, with that said, take a deep breath. You too. Go ahead and take a deep breath. Okay. Christians can and will disagree about many, many things. It could just be me, but this seems to be a time where that is heightened. Is it just me? Is it, is it just because we've got social media? Uh, th that gives us a little bit more of a window but I, I think this is a time when disagreements among Christians are being heightened. Now, let me go back to a, a phrase that I used a minute ago. Strate strategically inconvenienced for the, what did Paul say? Establishment and exhortation of the church. Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about disagreements over core issues, over fundamentals. We did an entire series on foundations. And, and th those disagreements will happen, but those are things for which we go to the mat, right? I'm talking about that we believe that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ 
alone according to the Scriptures. That means the Scriptures alone are sufficient for the glory of God. Now, if we disagree about that, then there probably is another place for you. Actually, there's not. This is the best place for you because you're going to hear that truth. And we're not going to give wiggle room to that. We're not going to give wiggle room to the tenets of the Apostles' Creed that Jesus is God in the flesh. No wiggle room, all right? We're not talking about disagreements about those kinds of things. Peace at any price. Yielding basic truths for the sake of so-called unity. That's not unity, that's uniformity. That's putting yourself into an echo chamber where you just get to hear the, the, the same old error over and over again. It, 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 I, know, I know this, I know this, that every one of you, unless you've crept in here unawares and you don't know what we're about or whatever, we're, we're just saying this is, this is who we are by, by God's grace, not because we're special. We're sinners like the rest, saved by grace. But if you've crept in here and you have that kind of a, I need some wiggle room with some of these basic things, like I said to you a minute ago, th this is the place you need to be. Every one of you that I know of would go to the mat for foundational truths like that. And again, there is a time and a place where we may get the chance. All right? Paul warned the Thessalonians. You don't just come out of idolatry into following this new deity named Jesus Christ without something coming your way, and you're going to get pressure to stop talking in the name of Jesus or singing in the name of Jesus or meeting in the name of Jesus. And all of those kinds of things are coming. Are they here? Hang on, we're, we're going to talk about differences in a minute of opinion. But there will come a place in time where you will know, and we will know, that we have got to obey God rather than man. There's no question about that, and I know every one of you agrees with that. The question is that I've had, are we at that Acts 529 moment yet? Maybe. But I think at the very minimum, we're getting close. So what happens when we get there? What are you going to do? What are you, you going to do? It's not hard to say, obey God rather than men. Now, okay, but there is a way to do it. And that's what this whole message is about. We could stop right here. But we're not. Really, we could stop right here. Now, look at this. This, this is so good. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense 
there's no problem. You have the right to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is within you. I said a minute ago that everybody is going through the same thing in our culture and around the world, basically, Christian or non-Christian, but right here Peter says, we've got hope. People, people might ask you about that. What, what gives with you? Well, let me share with you why I have hope in me. Now, here is the key. I want you to look at this first phrase. Yet, do it. When you give that defense, do it with gentleness and respect. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about people outside the church. Yes. And when you're speaking with them, do it with gentleness and respect. You can speak the truth in love, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, if that is what Peter says we are to do toward unbelievers, how much more should we be doing that toward believers? We stand and we honor God. And there is a way to stand. This is what the Bible over and over again says. In matters that could be considered secondary. Have you got that? We're not talking about the primary, the foundational right now. But I'm talking about in matters that could be considered secondary. We can stand and honor God and respect Others, specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ, that will help us walk in unity in our disagreements and advance the gospel in the church, in our church. This is a universal principle, okay? That we can disagree over secondary matters and still accept one another. We can, listen to me, allow the expression of an opinion on a secondary matter without despising or judging or being despised or judged. We can disagree with a brother or sister over a secondary thing, taking another path, and be counted faithful and count the other person faithful. Folks, this is huge. And if there is any way where I see the tempter tempting in the church, I'm not talking necessarily about you. I'm talking about what people, what people, non-Christians even, atheists see and ask other people, what's happening in the church? Why is the church in America imploding? Why does it seem that on Facebook or other places, Christians are at each other's throats? And they're hateful toward everyone about everything? This is huge. But let me let you in on a secret. It's not new. Okay? All right. I'm a, I'm a certain age, and I'm going to, going to reveal some things. I, I grew up in the church. And uh, in the churches where I grew up, uh, we were together on essentials. 
I, I, even as a child, I pretty much knew that. Jesus is Lord. But there were other things that, now, now let me just put it like this, and, and I find it interesting, in our attempt to be holy, and that's the command, we are to be holy, we're to be sanctified. There were times when churches created lists. You understand what I'm saying? Now, it was tough to be a Baptist in those days because we had a long list. A lot easier, I hope this doesn't offend you, it was a lot easier to be a Methodist, <laughs> or especially an Episcopalian. And they, they had shorter lists, but they all had lists. Here's how you be holy. I just wrote down some stuff. These are things I, I consider these secondary matters. Most of them are not theological. At least I don't think they are. I'll get to some of the theological. I'm just going to go through these. Now, students, I'm going to have to define some of these for you. But those of you who are as old as I am or maybe just a few years younger, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. Here was one of the big ones, dancing. Oh, my and I can't, I, I'll never forget that when dancing, is that still an issue? Except I couldn't dance. I, you know, if I'd have been a Methodist, see, my wife was a Methodist, so she could dance. So when, when we got to a place in our culture where it was kind of okay for Baptists to dance, we called it a foot fellowship. <laughs> I am serious. Kicker, that's one to remember, Okay. How about playing cards? Anybody old enough to remember? You didn't go down to the domino and cards place right off the square. Now, here's a term that will be surprising to some of you. You're going to go, ooh, mixed bathing. You're saying, well, of course we're not going to take baths together. It's gross. Mixed bathing was a term that meant that you couldn't swim with the opposite sex. And when I was a youth pastor in Plano, Texas, we took our children to a children's camp, and they had a big sign, and we had to take the boys swimming at one time and the girls swimming at the other. Is that still around? How about another one? Here's one, closed communion. Hmm. Is it possible to disagree and to still have unity in that? How about this one, alien immersion? These were all things, suits and dresses. Oh, my. Do you know it, it, it wasn't until after the 90s? In the 90s, when I was on staff at a church, I was required to wear a coat and tie to work every day. Now look at me. And the first time a woman walked into the church building, it was on a Sunday night. And that was brave. It wasn't on a Sunday morning in pants. Now, I'm just going back and, and, and sharing with you some of these things. And I could talk on and on. Hair length for men and women, social drinking, smoking. Well, that wasn't a big deal because all the deacons stood out on the front porch of the church and smoked. 
No question about that. How about this? And this continues today. King James only. All right. I, I've just got a music. Jonathan's shaking his head. Do you remember, do, do any of you remember in your churches the first time they got a drum set? Do you have any stories about drum sets? About people coming in the middle of the night on a Saturday night and taking them apart and hiding the drum set so they wouldn't be there on a Sunday morning? Surely that wouldn't happen. Oh, I could go on and on. Uh, things like eschatology, that means... Jesus is coming back. We believe that. But how exactly does that look? Women in ministry? Oh, my. Calvinism versus Arminianism? We know which one is right about that. <laughs> Spiritual gifts? Now, I'm just going to throw this out. Because th this is one of those things that, that uh, is, is the, the potential to be divisive in the church today. I mentioned it last week. Face masks. Now, I know where I line up. Here's the, the right. This is your left. This is my right. Here's the left. And, and there are people, solid, wonderful, loving Christians, love Jesus, love others, who line up all across the spectrum. I could give you statistics, but statistics really don't convince people of being over here or over there. And that's just, that's just one thing. There, there are other things that are all surrounding that, closing churches and all. I just, I just put that out there because it, it seems that I've, I've been hearing a lot about that. And there are just so many things that go through the heart that are unspoken, some that are passive-aggressive, open hostility, things like that. Can we find Scripture? What informs the way you think about these things that I just mentioned? Because I remember talking to, to some people about these things. I literally, I'm not making this up. I literally, it wasn't talking about any of these issues. It was talking about elders, a plurality of elder, elders in the church. And with one of the deacons in one of the churches that I served very early on. And I was showing him scripture. And here's what he said. I don't care what scripture says. That's not the way we do it. So, let me ask it like this. Is there scripture that informs the way you think? It got, it's got to go in the mind first, feel and then act in terms of words and all of the rest. I think there is ample scripture. Let me give you a couple of those. We're going to run through these. You know these probably, but let me just do kind of a little study through these. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, marvelous little passage in a church that was really racked with divisions and all the rest of that. People that, you know, put themselves up as experts and, and put others down and all the rest. So, so finally, Paul in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians gets into this thing about eating meat offered to idols. And let me just just put it into uh, terms that you can understand. So you're, you're, you're a, a seasoned Christian, and you go down to the local meat market, okay? And you want to pick up, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
a chuck roast for the evening meal. And so you see a really nice looking chuck roast and the guy said, yeah, yeah, that, that's, boy, that's a good price. And he says, yeah, that was offered to uh, an idol and uh, man, that's, that's why it's going for such a good price. He said, well, yeah, I'll take that. Because you know, now here's what he starts out. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now he goes on to say that well, I didn't list this, but in the next verse, he says, we know that there's no such thing as an idol. So you're standing there, and it doesn't bother you at all, and it shouldn't. There's no such thing as an idol, so you can buy that, take it home, have your wife or you put it in the oven. <laughs> Caught myself. That's the way it is. In my family, some of the best cooks are, are the, the men in, in our family, right, Katie? Yeah. And um, so you, you go home, put it in the, you have no problem. But there's a, there's a younger Christian. Now, I don't know how to say this. Let's, let's watch the word weak because that can be, well, you're just weak. That's not what Paul is saying. But conscience-wise, let's say this person came out of rank idolatry. And so this could be a huge potential stumbling block. He's in the meat market with you, and he's looking at you, and you've got knowledge. You can see that he's looking at you in a certain way. And if you say, I know there's no such thing in idols, guess what that does? That puffs up. That's not a loving attitude. He goes on, take care that this right, no one is telling you to give up your right to eat meat. You've got the right. But the whole thing of the sermon is, are you willing to sacrifice for the good of others? So you're not a, a, a stumbling block to the weak. Therefore, Paul ends up by saying, if food makes my brother stumble, I will, what? I'll never have another steak lest I make my brother stumble. And there are some who will say, whoa, whoa, that's too far. That's one passage of Scripture. Okay, let me give you a parallel. And this is something different. Uh, okay, it really speaks to our time today. As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. What opinions? Are we talking about meat sacrificed to idols? Maybe. Maybe. Paul's a little bit more general. Okay, now who's the weak, the weak in faith? He's, just, he's, got a, he's got a conscience that perhaps he came out of something and that makes his conscience more sensitive. So welcome that person. If you're the person that's got the knowledge, but not to judge his opinions. Now watch this. One person believes he may eat anything while the other, the weak person, is a vegan. Well, or something like that. But you see, the, the setup is, is the same. And this could be over any of those things we talked about earlier. Secondary matters that become primary, and because of the heart attitude, they divide. Paul goes on to say, let not the one, and this is, this is the verse. If you're going to write down any verse and look at it and, and, and park on that, let not the one who eats, who has the knowledge, despise the one who abstains, but there is a responsibility from the one called the weaker brother. 
Let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Responsibility goes both ways, folks. One person esteems that this can be applied to any number of things. We're talking about days. One says one day is better than the other. I prefer Sunday. The other person says that they're all okay. You can worship on Friday. Each one. Now, this is the real key. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. It's okay to have an opinion on any of these things that I mentioned, including face masks. You have the right to assemble your, your own set of, I have. And if I were to tell you where I line up personally, where, where would you guess that it is? You see, it really doesn't matter, does it? When I said that and I kind of leaned to the right, you lean to the left, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. No, we don't want that. Let's go on to see what Paul says. Romans, see, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking or wearing face masks or any of those kinds of things. Here it is. We look to Christ. We look to Christ. The righteousness found in Christ, the peace found in Christ, the joy found through the Holy Spirit. That's really what the focus is. What informs you? We read this earlier. Be of the same mind, complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I, I'm just throwing these verses at you because they're so important. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing. This is what Paul did for the Thessalonians, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And let your speech always be gracious. Season it with salt, the word so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And how many of you parents have taught this over and over again to your children? A soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You see, what I'm saying here, folks, is both the strong and the weak, however you categorize that, have the right and the freedom and the responsibility to make judgment calls. But they also have the responsibility to the other brother or sister. So the key here, and by the way, I'm not finished even though this is the end of the sermon. The key here that I'm trying to get through to us today is the attitude, the, the, the principle, the spirit of mutually deferring to one another out of love 
even as Christ did for us. This is for another message, but I am not saying we stop all discussion or dissenting over something that is important, but to do it with the greatest amount of love possible. So that the end is that we don't join like a lot of people are doing. We're trying to avoid circular firing squads. So what's the upshot of this? I preach all of these sermons to myself. Oh, me. And I preach them to you and say this final word, if the shoe fits, thank you. Let's not, the world says if the shoe fits, wear it. Paul says in Ephesians 4, if the shoe fits, take it off and put on the new man who is created in the likeness of Christ. Father, I thank you that um, we worship you and we go through a scripture and we look at how we can exhort and encourage and establish believers in Christ. And Lord, I, I feel that this is one of the primary ways that we can do this even today and bring about these applications. I pray that we would listen and learn and take in and that this would be a source of, of, of great table talk as we have our lunches and dinners and on into the week this week. Father, most of all, for those of us who know you, if there's a corrective, then Father, by the Holy Spirit, show us. Not any guilt or, or heavy-handedness of man, but through the gentle wooing of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what we always want. Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ, and I pray that person would, would have a, a revelation of his sins before you, a holy God, of Jesus, your Son, coming to earth to die in the place of sinners for their sins, and that if that person receives Jesus and his forgiveness, he becomes a child, a child of God. <clears throat> so, Father, I pray that you would do that. <clears throat> Uh, in the hearts of people. I pray that you would help us to apply that even as we finish this time today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.